Uh, today we're going to be getting into the book of Proverbs. The theme today is family relationships, and I'm a little bit more pressed for time, so we're going to just jump right in, if that's okay. Uh, uh, we're going to be talking about family relationships, uh, pulling from some of the, the, the themes in Proverbs. And while not all of us might be parents or uh, will be parents, whatever that uh, might mean, um, the principles here in Proverbs cover uh, cover um, just a broad scope of things, and they're very universal in their application. Uh, so I hope that while they're more targeted in lessons, as I talk about parent-to-child relationships, there will be principles for all of us here. I, be- I believe that. But then I also want to flip it and look at the relationship from a child-to-parent uh, perspective as well. And obviously in this room, I'm going to be thinking more specifically about uh, old adult children-to-parent to relationships. Um, so how do the Proverbs teach us about parent-to-child relationships and child-to-parent relationships? How can we navigate these essential relationships with wisdom? Uh, let me pray, and then we're just going to jump straight in. Father, thank you again for these little ones that we just got to celebrate today and how they really uh, represent just a, a number of little ones that you've entrusted to our care. Again, we pray for your hand of blessing on them and their families. And Father, now as we look at your word and we try to understand what you'd have for us in terms of our own family relationships, whether that's with little ones ourselves or whether that's uh, future little ones or whether that's relating uh, to our parents now, uh, Father, I know that there are many in this room where the relationships with parents are strained. Father, I pray that you would just give an extra measure of your spirit uh, to them, but to each of us as we seek to understand your word and grow in you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at two relationships, and then we'll, we'll pull it together. So first, the parent-to-child relationship. Wisdom for that. Uh, this will be on your screen, but look at Proverbs 3 and Proverbs 23. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways. So here's the high-level high thought to parents, future parents alike. Aim to mark your relationships with your kids with joy. Um, seek to foster joy and delight in the home without neglecting discipline. So you'll have noticed that there's a lot of words here about rejoicing and, and, and delight and being joyful that I want to I come, come back to and, and use as our header here. But it is in the, the scope of also talking about discipline. Uh, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about discipline. In fact, Proverbs 19.18 puts it this way, Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing part to their death. Now that might sound like pretty strong language, like, I don't discipline them, you know, be part of their death? Well, maybe. I mean, we got we to gotta think about this. One Christian author put it this way. I thought this was really succinct. And sorry, it won't be on, your board, uh, on the board for you. He, he said this, There is a design in the world, and to go against it brings natural consequences. If parents do not bring carefully controlled, unpleasant consequences in their children's lives, they will go out into the world and bring far more painful and harmful results onto themselves later. Inflicting minor sadness now avoids great despair later. If you, do, if, if you do that, when they are young, there is hope that the child will internalize your training and learn self-control. If you don't, you are a willing party to their death. Strong words, but fair. 
Uh, elsewhere in the Proverbs, it says essentially that when we don't discipline our kids, it's as, it's as if we're hating them. And when we do discipline them, it's as if we're, we're really, we love them. Um, there is hope in discipline. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about this this week in terms of my own life and my own parenting. Uh, I'm not one of those parents that just loves to discipline their kids. I mean, I, I like to think I don't really shy away from it, but I'm not like looking for my kids to do something where I can just, all right, I can just let you have it, you know, that, that kind of thing. But there are certain occasions that I, I just, I'm really aware of myself that I will not flinch in terms of disciplining them. For instance, when it comes to them overstepping a boundary that we've made in terms of for their safety. So when, when our little ones, you know, let's say it's in a parking lot or at a very busy intersection with lots of cars going by, they know not to go anywhere near that street or anywhere near those cars. But if and when they do, boy, I am just ready to discipline. <laughs> I'm just ready to say, why? Because I just want the best for them. And I just know, even as I'm explaining this to the five-year-old, hey, you know, Maddie, if you do that, you got to realize that could send you to the hospital. Ooh, hospital sounds fun. No, 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 not fun. No. My seven-year-old starts to understand that. But you understand that there, her understanding of this and, and, and processing it, there needs to be discipline. And so there, there's hope there. But it's not just in the big things, for instance, with like overstepping safety. It's also in other things that we might not realize or be paying attention for when it comes to discipline. For instance, disciplining kids when they speak back to their parents. You know, why would I discipline my kids when they do that? Is it because I just feel offended or hurt that, hey, you just need to give your parents respect? I mean, I think there's something to that, but I think it's more importantly to help the kids learn to respect authority. Uh, and because out in the real world, if we just kind of speak in a certain way, then there, there are, there are uh, uh, consequences for that sometimes. Or for instance, when our kids just kind of respond in such a way where they said they were going to do something, but they don't end up doing it, and they just say, well, tough, and they throw a fit. Why would we discipline there? Well, again, it's for their good. It's for their hope because there's real-world consequences when we say we're going to do something, but we don't do it. So we need to discipline, and the Bible and, and Proverbs speaks a lot to this. That's a primary, a very primary job of parents to teach children about right and wrong. But coming back to our main thought, it needs to be couched in an atmosphere of joy. Um, it needs to be couched. It needs to be within an environment of delight, joy, and warmth. Uh, Proverbs teaches that parents need to discipline and punish, yes, but behind all that, there must be love and genuine delight so strong that it's obvious to the children. Um, parents, are you looking for ways to catch your kids being good? Because uh, I think what this can mean for me if I'm real about it, is it's easy for me to play reactionary in terms of them not being good, you know, missing the mark. Like, oh, hey, you did that. Let's talk about that, which maybe that's good. Maybe that's, that's right in that moment. But what about the times when they're good? Do we stop and do we reflect on that? Do we celebrate that? Do we create an atmosphere of, of joy where there's rejoicing and delighting in the relationship there that is, that is so obvious to them? Uh, Cindy and I are growing in this in many respects. We need to grow in this in, in different ways. But one of the ways we try to do this is to take advantage of either the dinner time or right when we're putting the kids down for bed. Actually, mostly at that time when we're putting the kids down for bed. Um, we'll try to remember something that the kids did well or we were very proud of and just kind of take that time to, to speak that back to them. So, for instance, going to Maddie, my little five-year-old, and saying, Maddie, when you saw that new girl at church today who was visiting for the first time, 
and you left your friends and your toys, and you went over and you, you, you brought her back over to your friends and your toys. You were sharing. You know, mommy and daddy were so proud of you that you did that. That made us just so happy because it shows that you care for these little ones, these other ones who, who, want, who are new and they don't know their way around. And do you want to guess what Maddie's response is typically in, in times like that when we say something like that? She tucks her, you know, chin in her shoulder, big nervous smile, you know, and she, oh. you know it's just nervous joy. Uh, we need to be catching our kids being good. And even though that's a nice example, I need, to, I need to be doing better myself in that. Because there's a real tendency to just fall into an ongoing cycle of harping on repetitive frustrations. Isn't that true? And by the way, here's when we see the universal scope of application here. That's not just true with kids. Our relationship with kids is a relationship with, with a spouse or with roommates. Um, but we need to discipline, yes, our kids with setting healthy boundaries for their good, all the while in an environment of love, care, and warmth. So a question I'd ask you parents or future parents but is, can you evaluate that? You know, how are you doing at this? Maybe it's a conversation to have. How are we doing at this? What are tangible ways we can create an environment where we're loving and bringing joy into this relationship? We're being, we're being intentional about that, proactive about it. Or maybe you've heard everything that I've just said, and you're actually like, I haven't really been disciplining. I've just been letting them be free and let be. Um, but it's loving to discipline. It's, it's, a, it's this balanced, nuanced relationship that we need to provide for our kids. Or maybe, uh, parents, you have kids who have grown into a new stage of life, and you need to rejigger and think how to bring this joy, how to bring uh, these sorts of principles into the, the new life season that your family has entered. So that's one thought for parent-child relationships. Trying to go quickly here. The second thought, and just one here, is, is for child-to-parent relationships. Again, I'm thinking mostly of adult-child uh, uh, relationships uh, in, this, in this auditorium. But here's the thought. Let your relationship with your parents be marked with honor or uh, seek to honor your parents. Uh, Proverbs 15 and 30 say this. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish man despises his mother. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. The eye that mocks a father, that scorns an aged mother, will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley, will be eaten by the vultures. Uh, colorful language. But what's it saying? What's it saying is the, is the main way children ought to relate to their parents? It's putting it negatively, of course. It's saying that we shouldn't despise them that we are not to despise them. How do we listen to our fathers? We don't despise them. How do we listen to our mothers? We don't despise them. That's the negative. What's the positive? Of course, flipping that on its, on its head, we're talking about honoring our parents. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments famously says, children, honor your father and your mother. What's really interesting about that is it doesn't say, children, love your father and mother. I think the Bible wants you to do that, by the way. Love your father and mother. But think about it this way. When the commandments were written to really encapsulate so much of wisdom out there, why did it choose to say, honor your father and mother, not love your, your, your father and mother? Or, for that matter, trust your father and mother. Or, obey your father and mother. It says to honor your father and mother. I think this is so wise, so helpful, because it helps us understand things that we just otherwise wouldn't if it was just trust or obey your parents all the time. Uh, because what if our parents or your parents aren't the best for you in a moment? You know, because they're people. They're broken. They're flawed. What about that? 
ought, should you obey them in that moment? Well, maybe not necessarily so, especially adult parents. But can you honor them even in that moment? Yes. Yes, you can. And that's, that's what we're, we're called to do. Uh, the word honor in the Ten Commandments is a Hebrew word, uh, kabod, uh, which, means, uh, which is where we get our English word for glory. It means not to take our parents lightly, take them for granted, but rather to treat them with real care, respect, and honor. Uh, you might not agree with them. You, they might not agree with you, but you can still treat them with honor. Um, I was trying to think about, you know, uh, you know, a story or illustration of what this could look like, honoring our parents, especially when it, you know, it might not mean necessarily obeying them. You know, what would that look like? For instance, what would that look like if you are a follower of Jesus and they aren't? So you have these different priorities. How would you still honor them? Uh, if you've been around current for any length of time, you've probably heard me uh, speak of honor towards my father-in-law, who passed away about five years ago. Uh, uh, just an incredible guy who, who uh, ended up putting his faith in the Lord uh, right before the end. Um, but I, I was reminded of a story uh, that ta- uh, that's a tangible example of what looks like how to honor, but not necessarily obey your parents. So, for instance, when Cindy became, uh, Cindy became a Christian in high school, and her faith really became her own in college, this is my wife Cindy, um, Jesus became her first priority, her Lord, her Savior, her, her everything. Um, she became uh, her first priority, um, even over her parents, um, which is a good thing because even Jesus says, okay, you need to honor your parents. Um, and she spent a, a while in a, in, uh, for over a summer uh, in college serving in China, doing missions work, sharing her faith there with college students. In fact, her senior year of college, after getting um, a great job offer uh, with a consulting firm out here in San Francisco, she felt like God was nudging her to actually go and live in China for a while continue serving as a, a missionary there. Well, she took that to her parents, who were not followers of Jesus at the time, and she said, hey, I want to not go to this wonderful job that you're really excited about. I want to go serve as a missionary in China. And they said, oh, great. No, they didn't. They said, no way are you going. Like, we did not pay for you to go to an Ivy League school and get, get you this great job for you to go and serve as a missionary. you got to be kidding me. So you can imagine in that moment, it was really hard. It was really hard for Cindy because she still felt like, you know what, I feel called to do this. So what would that look like? What would that mean? How could she honor them while not necessarily obeying them? So she had a lot of hard conversations. There was a lot of tears at that time, lots of prayer, uh, checking in with a lot of people, seeking out counsel. And what she decided at the end of that was to come back to her parents and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to push back my job offer. Uh, I'm going to push it out until the end of the summer, uh, not for the whole year, but I'll, I'll do another summer sharing my faith in China, then start that job. I'll start that job. Uh, she said to her parents, but I, but I want you to know that if it still opens up, I still feel like I want to be able to go to China at some point because God's nudging me in that direction. Well, Cindy moved out to San Francisco and to do that uh, consulting job after that summer in China. Uh, and she was looking for a, a church at the time that had a heart for China because she still cared about that. She was looking for a church that also had a heart for college students. Uh, that happened to be the church I was working at. Uh, so she found, <laughs> she found that church, and we ended up meeting each other. We started dating, and we discovered that we both felt called to maybe live in China for a, a given period of time. Coincidence, I'm not sure. Um, and so fast-forwarding a bit in the conversation, after we were married, uh, we've, we thought, you know what, if we're going to go, we need to go before kids, and we should make this happen. So we went and we told uh, her parents again, and it was, again, not easy. It was actually really hard. Um, 
But it ended up being a wonderful, wonderful thing, uh, even for them. Actually, I was sharing this story with Cindy's mom today because I didn't want to just, you know, share a story and not, you know, like uh, her, have, her, have her know about it beforehand. Again, trying to honor, okay? Um, and she said, oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't understand things the way I do now. I, didn't, I wasn't following Jesus back then. She said, I was, I was more of a seeker, so it didn't make sense to me. But now I know the gospel. Now I know what Jesus is all about. And if I could go back, man, I would have said, go. Are you kidding? But I understood why that had to happen the way it happened. Um, part of our story is after we were there for two years, we ended up being there for two years, uh, Cindy's dad came down with late-stage non-smoking uh, lung cancer. Um, actually, in order to honor him in a way, we felt like, hey, let's come back. They weren't believers in Jesus at the time. We actually picked up in the matter of, I want to say, three and a half weeks and moved back to be with them. He ended up putting his faith in Jesus, became a really strong follower of Jesus, telling his testimony, um, just a wonderful, wonderful story. They both were baptized. Um, now, here's why I tell all that, all that story. It's not to tell you that story, hey, honor your parents, and it's all going to work out, sunshine and butterflies, you know? Like, honor your, you know, just, you know, go about this way, and everything's going to, their point of view, if it's not yours, it's going to change. Don't worry. That's not why I'm telling you the story. I'm telling you a story, well, first, first, first of all, to show how much I, I love and admire my wife who is willing to just, you know, follow after the Lord, even when it's hard and uncomfortable. Um, but I share the story to say, what are we called to do? If you're a follower of Jesus, it's to honor your father and your mother. That might not always mean obey. You know, in this room, especially filled with adult parents, it might not always be obey, but it is to love and treat them with respect, care, not mock or despise, but to just love them and care for them. Um, and he's going to work out everything else. You could trust him. So my question to you is, what would that look like in your life? How could you honor your parents? Maybe, and again, I know this is true for many of you in this room, your relationship with your parents is strained for any number of reasons. How could honoring them, treating them with respect, look like for you? And then there's any number of you that you do have a great relationship with your parents. How can you actively honor your parents? A couple of thoughts just to get real practical with it, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up here. Uh, honoring has to include expressing gratefulness. Uh, just, just sharing with your parents from time to time, man, I, you know, I am the way I am because you helped me in this regard. Thank you. Uh, now, for some of you, that might not be true just all over the map. Some of you, that might just be more sporadic here and there. But when you have that moment where you're like, man, this has been so helpful because of my parents, are you able to just let them know? You know, for me, with my parents, I just am regularly, regularly just in awe at how they started a church with five kids living at home. And I'm whining about having two kids at home starting a church. <laughs> I'm just regularly just like, man, my goodness, I have been really, really blessed. Um, are there ways that you can actively seek to honor them and express that? Man, I, I'm just, I learned that because of you, Dad. I learned that because of you, Mom. Thank you. Uh, honoring has to mean expressing gratefulness. Uh, honoring has to mean forgiveness. Uh, for some of you, man, maybe, maybe a, a parent or a parent-in-law said something at one point. Maybe it felt like they overstepped. Maybe it was just not, they, they just said something that was just out of line. Maybe they did something that was just really hurtful to you. Is it, has it become a little chip on your shoulder? Has it influenced your relationship with them? Does it just remain there and affect the relationship you have with them going forward? How can you 
forgive them? Because the logic here, it seems to me, is how do we honor someone that we can't even forgive? How do we honor somebody if we just have a chip on our shoulder towards them? I'm not, I'm not suggesting to you that this is easy, by the way, if you're feeling it as I share this, but it's something to move towards. Listen to uh, the most famous chapter on love in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says this, Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Um, and then I, I can't help but think honoring uh, has to mean praying for them. If you're a follower of Jesus, it has to mean praying for your parents. Number one, because we should be praying for our parents that God's blessing favor would just be upon them. I mean, that's just, that's first and foremost. But number two, you know what prayer also does is it shapes our heart, helps us to start to see things from God's perspective. And if you have a strained relationship, when you begin to pray for them, you'll start to see that God loves them even when they don't deserve it because he loves you even when you don't deserve it. Which brings us to the final thought, and that is how do we do any of this? Because I don't know about you, but even if you have great parents or you have great kids, this is all hard, okay? And it's hard because why? We're broken people. We're flawed parents. We're ungrateful kids. But you know what the good news of the Bible is? It is filled from cover to cover with jacked up families. I mean, I love that. You read every family in this Bible is just utterly jacked up. That is good news. Why? Because we're jacked up. You know the whole thing when you think, oh, yeah, well, why are we the only normal family? No, we just think we're normal. We're not normal. We're all just, we all have our own things that we're, we're, we're dealing with. I mean, the first few pages of the Bible, Adam and Eve's son murdered his brother. Off to a great start. Jacob's son sold their brother into slavery. You know, the guy who'd be called Israel. King David had an affair and his son started a rebellion. Even Joseph and Mary, you know, they lost their son for three days. And who was their son? Oh yeah, Jesus, the son of God. Um, the, God the, the Bible's filled story after story of people who are just, just broken families which is such good news because that's God's way of saying, hey, I know you struggle with it. That's why I've provided outside help. The gospel is God the Father and God the Son, out of delight and joy they had for each other and delight and joy that they have for you and me, sent Jesus into the world to die for us, to take the punishment that we deserve. Not discipline, full-blown punishment, even though he didn't deserve it. For the sake of bringing us, making us whole. First and foremost, to bring us into his family. Uh, to bring us into his family. First John, uh, John 1, 12 says, For all those who believe in him, all who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. That's the first promise of the gospel. You can receive that today. Become a part of his family. But here's the second part that's wonderful about the gospel, is it shows us that God is now using broken people and broken families in order to get out his love of restoration and healing and hope, which means you don't have to be perfect. In fact, it's not being perfect or trying to project that you're perfect that's going to do any good. It's actually living from your imperfection and seeing his perfect love made known through you. That's what this is all about, um, God's love and his goodness to us. There's some practical ways to think about this in terms of parent-to-child relationships, in terms of disciplining, but always... In a, in a, couched in an atmosphere of love and joy. And then from child to parent, uh, it, it's always it's seeking to honor 
even when it's not to obey, but, but just always to honor and, and try to love and care for our parents. But the, the, the foundation and power for all of this is to recognize that this is what he has done for us. And so to the degree we understand that he's done this for us, is the degree we can live that out in our own broken families. And then through our broken families, we can let his love, his perfect love made known to others. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this theme, not only in the book of Proverbs, of family relationships, but just throughout the whole Bible. Uh, thank you for the realness there, that we can just ex- we can, we can experience your love even in the midst, maybe even especially in the midst of our brokenness. Father, thank you for sending your Son, for, out of the joy of your heart, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins that we might have a restored relationship with you. We give you praise. And in fact, if you're here today and you'd like to receive this love, if you'd like to believe on his name and, and, and become a child of God, I want to give you that opportunity. In this space, with all everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, if you'd like to receive Jesus, become a son or daughter of the Lord and begin a relationship with him, you can do that today in your heart by saying, yes, Lord, I want that. Forgive me. And you can indicate that now by raising your hand. The point is not raising your hand will save you. That's what happens in your heart between him and the Lord. But I'll see your hand and pray for you. So if you'd like to receive Jesus and indicate that today, you can raise your hand and I'll see you and pray for you. Yes, I see one hand. Yes. Another moment. Let's continue to pray. Father, first I want to pray for this... uh, individual who raised his hand, that you would meet him in your spirit here and now. You'd help him to feel palpably that he is your father, you are his son. Would you surround him in his love and help him uh, just receive what you've done for him? And I pray that all for all of us. Would you help us in our relationships, in our family relationships, where we recognize that we're far from perfect, We're very much broken. We very much need your help. So we thank you that you offer that to us in in many different ways, but most powerfully in what you did for us on the cross. So Lord, help that love that you offer to us sink more deeply into hearts that we might offer it to each other and offer it to those we're around. And thank you for this church family that we get to live life together in the midst of all these things. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.